So when I insult Elizabeth, which I frequently do, I do not attack uh, that soft spot in the underbelly. My and when she chin. attacks me, double chins. You bloody you well know. have. you're stumped coming up with fresh locations for this year's summer holidays might we suggest a trip to turkey via the moon to urban paris and the isle of pachyderms and to a mediterranean retreat where noel coward arrives each evening on his manservant's shoulders checking your boarding passes i'm phil walsh manning the duty-free trolley i'm jim hall welcoming you to flight 14 bound for midnight video tonight the world's most notorious fibber gets himself a communist makeover we catch a speeding cannonball to Czechoslovakia for 1961's The Fabulous Baron Munchausen. A love-struck graffiti artist and his pint-sized rapping pal find themselves lost in the woods with Yves Montan as he craves closure in Jean-Jacques Benyek's IP5. And Liz Taylor waits for the end while Richard Burton in a samurai robe and a dog-handling midget in jackboots decorate the bizarre world of Tennessee Williams' critical disaster, BOOM! <laughs> Oof, well, it's been a week since we queued up to get our uh, tickets to Fright Fest. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite a long day for me. Really? Oh yeah, <laughs> you went straight off to a barbecue, didn't you? Yeah, well I started at half seven as well, queuing. Although some people have been there all night, the nutters. Yes, uh, Fright Fest, which you know I'm sure people will know, but is the annual, uh, what is it, sponsored by Film 4, I think? It is, yeah. Yeah, I, I know already from Twitter and uh, Facebook that... Um, some of the listeners will be going to Fright Fest as well, so it'd be nice to catch up with you guys. Um, make sure we've got our seat numbers right. We'll be in row double E, and yep. it's nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one because yeah, we're so fat we take up two. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin no. Smith style. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, our friend Lee, um, aka Count Fosco, will be joining us um, in the middle there. He'll be <laughs> It'd be squeezed between us. Well, no yeah. escape. <laughs> yes. That's going to be a hell of a weekend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, should we mention who else is there with us? Yeah, we'll, yeah, be, we'll be sat in the shadow of uh, the Mondo movie guys, Dan and yeah. Ben. They're uh, almost directly behind us, yeah. but you know, casting their long uh, podcasting yes, shadow. Literally as well as figuratively. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure well, I've not really looked through the list too thoroughly, but obviously I'm not going to be there for the entire thing. So if we will. Hopefully, in the next few shows, find what we think is going to be the weakest film there, and probably opt out of that. And uh, if anyone fancies a beer in a local pub, it'll probably be a well. I haven't cleared this with you, Phil, yeah, but um, a, a Sam Smith's one, well, which is a bit cheaper. Yeah, Sam Smith's would be good because it's cheaper, yeah. obviously. I mean, everyone, like, everyone was going round to the Imperial last year, just round the corner. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be there for the. When the two three D films are showing, I'll uh, I'll be in the pub for yeah, sure. Not a fan of Destina Final Destination Five. No, I've, I thought the first one was uh, adequate, but I've never never been keen to watch the rest of them really. Fright Night three D. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Don't want to watch that. <laughs> no, I'll mm, we'll see what goes on. No, I'm I'll, I might be seeing through those. You never know. But uh, yeah, that's something to I'll be preparing myself for over the next month and a half. <laughs> Mental preparation. Yeah, but yeah, Lord knows we do watch some peculiar films, so uh, should we get cracking? Yeah, let's uh, murder on.
Best known to modern audiences as another box office flop for Terry Gilliam, cinema has told and retold the tall tales of Baron Munchausen many times over. Following a German take during the closing days of World War II, it only seemed fair that the Baron's yarns were also brought to life behind the Iron Curtain in Carl Zeman's 1961 film The Fabulous Baron Munchausen. Here, a modern space traveller discovers the exaggerating aristocrat living on the moon and accompanies him on a voyage into the past, told through a combination of tinted live-action footage and a catalogue of animation techniques. Uh, so I know previously you've voiced uh, your disdain for Mr Gilliam. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, well, not disdain, really. You just no. I, I genuinely no. wish I liked his films more because I've certainly watched... Near, I think there's only Tideland I've not watched which I'll, I'll get round to soon you're, you're, you're pulling a funny face there <laughs> oh no I've, I've tried with uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas a couple of times and not managed it oh, I like that I but like you know that. certainly there was a time when Brazil was one of my favourite films mm. you know, I've watched that many many times but you know, um, I don't know it's, it's probably something I say over and over I, to make a really good film I think you should get the, the plot and the characters and the imagery all together working whereas I think he's a top heavy on images and you know, fall fall a bit flat in uh, the other departments. Yeah, well, I can understand that, um, but I'm kind of fall into the group of people who <laughs> quite like the style of a substance sometimes. Well, that's uh, that's uh, fine. I yeah. mean, what? So, y- are you a fan of uh, Gilliam's? Yeah, I, I, I really, I really, really. I mean, that was a, a childhood childhood treat. film. Yeah. Um, I watched. I had a double bill of that and Slipstream with Mark oh, Hamill. Yeah. yeah. Um, just before I moved to London, and of the two, uh, Munchausen stayed with me a lot longer. Although Slipstream's a movie I wouldn't mind watching again. Yeah. No, I've uh, I've often thought about Slipstream. Yeah. <laughs> for the show, you mean, or just yeah, for in your show. everyday life? No, no. <laughs> for the show, I think it'd be good. I read that Gilliam saw this at the BFI, um, Baron Prashil by Zeman or Zeman, and wanted to remake it. You know, it was it was something that he was bowled over by. Um, were you bowled over by it? I liked an awful lot of it because um, we mentioned in the introduction that it was kind of I'm not sure if I want to call it the Nazi version, but certainly <laughs> it was made in Germany in the in the like, 43 was it or something? Yeah. Not which much goose-stepping in it, I don't know. No, imagine. but um, you'd, you'd lent me a copy of that, which I'd watched with the idea we were going to be doing it on the show. But when I watched it, it wasn't this one. And I had seen I had seen some of this on um, TV 20-odd years ago, probably at the same time the Gillian Munchausen came out at the, the cinema. Um, and also I remember, you know Starburst magazine? Mm-hmm. I got a bunch of those in the mid-'80s from much earlier, from like no more like 1980, and I remember they had a big feature on this, so a lot of the stills from it were really burnt into my memory. Right. And when I was watching the German Munchausen, I was thinking, oh, it's it's not that film I was thinking of, and so um, yeah, I was quite keen to. I saw the trailer for this on YouTube, or rather, I think someone's cut their own, which is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sending it to you and thinking, if we're going to do a Munchausen, then this is the one we should look at, and. Uh, yeah, certainly that trailer is fantastic, isn't it? Because it is—it's so many different animation techniques, and the whole look of it seems really unique, you know. Um, so I was keen to cover it, and you know, in a in a nutshell, um, I think this is less than the sum of its parts. This individually, everything about it is great. But watching is it about an hour and a half, an hour and four. I don't yeah, think it's that it's, long. It's but like eighty-nine minutes, I think. It's kind of the same problem that. Um, the Gilliam one and and the German one have, which is it's um, 
because it's a series of tall tales by the Baron, it feels very episodic, whereas watching an hour and a half of it, there's not a lot of momentum to keep you kind of engaged for the whole thing. So, uh, I don't know, I've got more stuff to say about it, but I want you to get a yeah, get a word in. Get a word in anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I pretty much feel the same. I was, I was amazed. At, I, I don't even know uh, what all the technical descriptions are for the techniques that mm. were used but it just seemed to be a maelstrom of um, animation um, with some actors in front I wasn't that keen on the acting really, I thought the characters they were, I think they could have been a lot funnier Yeah, um, there's, there's nothing to really get you involved in them. No, but saying that the way that Zeman set up like certain set pieces, the, the imagery there was plenty of humour injected in certain um, parts of it. I really love like the stop motion grapes that are dancing in synchronisation with the belly dancer. Oh yes, uh, little moments like that, and um, and the Sultan's chair of um, his like defence mechanisms and yes. stuff. That's hilarious, and and those those sort of buoyed it up for me a little bit um, but yeah what it, it felt quite lacking in the, the storytelling side of it which is yeah. ironic although <laughs> something to say about this compared to those other two versions is they do try and put a narrative on it because mm. um, it's been a long time since I've seen the Gilliam but there he's an old man who turns up and is relaying his past I think isn't it? That's right. Here um, things start with we'll call him a space traveller I suppose whether he's a Tony. Cos cosmonaut Tony or something like that I think was what the um, <laughs> I think I wrote down Tony yeah. Tony or something is what I've got that's actually what the subtitles say. <laughs> but yeah well no it's, it's a brilliant opening when you go from footprints and then it's kind of through not evolution but the evolution of technology I suppose this would be yeah quite a while ahead of 2001 I suppose but yeah zooming up through butterflies flying and hot air balloons and aircraft and you've got this space traveller landing on the moon where he finds Baron Munchausen uh, Serrano de Bergerac <laughs> and who are the other guys they look like Magritte painting yeah kind of I could I couldn't, hatted I couldn't figure out guys. who they were because yeah. the subtitles are so poor on this we uh, do need copy. to mention that yeah because we you know we um it's a German release that Apparently, is a bootleg, but it's like I'm an not, official bootleg. Yeah, I know you bought it quite cheaply and fought, but it's um, no, no. I, I got it on Amazon. I had to all buy right, it from abroad. All right, yeah. but um, a big technical problem with this is the subtitles often just crop up for a split second, and God, it's yeah, it feels like speed. You'll just pick up certain words, and um, I mean, in particular, there's a scene much later on when. Um, they go inside the, f the. They get swallowed up by this giant fish, which is one of the sort of. If there is a famous image from it, I think the, f the fish is designed with those huge lips. It's quite well known, maybe. But the Baron introduces himself to some uh, mariners who are already stuck in there, and we get no subtitles. And then one of the mariners starts to speak, and finally the Baron's subtitles come up saying, "Hello, I'm Baron Munchausen." But I was confused for a second. And I thought, <laughs> "This is great, the mariner, because Munchausen's a liar." There's nothing to say that the Mariner isn't Munchausen and the other guy's been lying the whole time. <laughs> but it was just uh, just an accident of how the subtitles worked. Mm. But I did enjoy uh, things like that. But no, going back, um, there is a narrative imposed on this because this, this space traveller lands on the moon. Munchausen, Bergerac and whoever these other guys are, I should say Serrano de Bergerac <laughs> rather than the Jersey detective <laughs> <laughs> of the 80s. Um, mistaken for a native of the moon, I think, is it? Yeah, they call him... Uh, Alunian? Alunian. Yeah, Alunian. Yeah. And um, 
Munchausen takes this uh, astronaut, cosmonaut, whatever, uh, back to Earth, but via a hot air balloon pulled by uh, what would be the plural of Pegasus? <laughs> Pegasi? <laughs> Pegasi. <laughs> Winged horse, anyway. But it's a really, really great piece of, I mean, not technically great animation, but it looks fantastic, and it's just a really great image. But from there on, it's the Baron, Tony the astronaut, and it's the Tony falls in love with this girl he meets at the Sultan's palace, doesn't he? Yeah, and I couldn't uh, figure out is she the Sultan's daughter? Quite possibly, not yeah. the Sultana. The Sultana. <laughs> yeah, we are struggling with the subtitles on this. <laughs> but I thought, well, this is a good move because they've taken all these disparate stories that Munchausen tells and tries to uh, consolidate them into something, give mm. it a framework. But yeah, ultimately, over the course of an hour and a half, there's not a lot to keep you. Um, interested I mean the images are fantastic I've got to stress that and it's a it's a, whatever else we say about the DVD I think it's a very good transfer they're mm. very crisp um, but yeah I was just thinking this kind of goes back to Perrin Barbar we reviewed a few shows back I yeah. wouldn't have minded if this had been more like the uh, European film serials I used to see on TV during summer holidays I could imagine loving this as a sort of 10 year old if it had been on in 15 minute chunks over a summer holiday or something spread out yeah yeah because you'd have just concentrated on how great it looked rather than particularly caring about the, the love story in it which kind of yeah. doesn't really amount to a great deal because there are certain moments where I was very confused as to <laughs> because I think Tony disappears for quite a large mm. portion you know when the uh, Bianca and the Baron got, end up in the whale as yeah. we mentioned or the f giant fish or whatever it is and uh, yeah Tony's just disappeared by this point and there's yeah, no real explanation. It didn't really worry me too much. I mean, I, I was I was still drawn into it, but just just by the imagery, I suppose. Um, well, I've said this already. I'll that. probably say it again as well because <laughs> I mean the images are so great. In it, yeah, so. I mean the color, the use of color is like really. I've never seen anything like it. It's like mm. someone's just decided to paint all the scenes one color but in their mind they've said mm. right this is this, this everything is has to be purple <laughs> yes. everything has to be blue everything has to be yeah. yellow everything and it, it just works like really well it yeah. gives it um i can't really think of it's an a equivalent storybook kind of look to it yeah i, thought. I was um, thinking along the lines of oh, there's some early i don't know it's not hannah barbara's you know the guys who did Gerald McBoingbong and that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've never heard of Gerald McBoingbong. Yeah, it's like the backgrounds of those are always very They're simple backgrounds. Right. This animation from like the oh, what's, what's Gerald McBoingbong? It's a little boy who only speaks in sound effects. It's Hellboy's favorite um, cartoon. I know right. this from watching. Is this the from the real world? Yes. Right. This isn't something that Mike Mignola made up for the comic. No, no, it's right. real. It's real cartoon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and when was this from? What sixties? Sixties. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's excellent. But all the backgrounds in those were very singular. simple yeah. and singular. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, it put me in mind of that whole, like the whole smoke effect, which mm. was like ink in water. I think it yes, was like Flash Gordon over. or Mongo. But yeah, yes. given it was made in the early 60s, it, it does use a lot of those old techniques. And th the thing that I was also, um, this was a kind of a vote, a lot of the time I wasn't sure if they had just used a matte painting technique sometimes with the sets and had just used that as a frame, mm. which had been put in after the fact. Or whether it almost looked like they'd actually built big theatrical sets like you get on a, a curtain, you know, if yeah. you're a, I can't think of the name of them. 
but that the fact that it had a storybook look and a theatrical look and yeah with stuff with the ink I mean the, the singular colours as well I remember they sometimes would show silent films on TV when I was younger and sometimes they'd do, do that of so people wouldn't be put off by black and white they'd uh. just put them all in green for a bit or blue for a bit to give it some visual variety mm. uh, idiots but it's, yeah no it's I am glad we've covered this over the, the German one which um, I did watch and is I mean if you're going to make a film of Baron Munchausen it is going to be an effects driven thing and that just didn't seem to have it was in colour so for the 40s that was still a huge expense um, but it it only seemed to have two or three of the magical Baron scenes they did have the cannonball riding the cannonball into across the Turkish defences mm. but not a great deal else although if anyone does watch the um, the 40s German Munchausen I'd be interested to know what anyone thinks I did think there was a scene at the end of that which was really genuinely moving right. um, and th this lacked any of that yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid but um, yeah you, you've, you've said you're a fan of the Gilliam Munchausen how did it sort of how do these compare to each other? I wouldn't like to compare them because I'm going to make you. <laughs> they're so different uh, for me, you know, like t technically and the, their approach. I think anyway, um, the fact that the Gilliam one is had so much money pumped into it mm. as well. Um, it, it's so lavish in comparison. There is some in really interesting creativity going on there as well. I mean, he's a visual artist, Gilliam, ultimately. So you you get this. Um, actually, in fact. You do get quite a lot of um, Zeman's influence on Gilliam, but more in his Monty Python stuff than mm. I, than I'd say in in his uh, Munchausen. Because yeah, this this uh, Zeman's version does use seemingly every kind of animation available, doesn't it? This yeah. sort of two D, yeah, what we'd call the Gilliam animation with cardboard being moved mm. around, cell animation. Yeah, was the rotoscoping a little bit? Uh, there's like a cat running towards right, the screen at certainly one point. There are certainly things that kind of seem like shadow puppets, which yeah. are possibly rotoscoped. But right. yeah, it, it seems like it's every kind of animation you could think of thrown into this big. Yeah, it seems like an annual you'd get at Christmas or something. Because I was I was so impressed with like the simplest things, like like the forced perspective. Mm. Because, like you say, it's almost like it is a life size mm. um, or cut yeah. out or yeah. something. Yeah, that's like I said before. You know, that's what really drew me in was that. I was almost wondering, what, I mean, what what will he use next? What kind of technique will mm. he pull out of the bag now? Uh, at the end, I was a little bit um, disappointed with the the fine, the, like the denouement was a bit like oh, it uh, just seemed very rushed. Yeah, it was like, oh, we need to wrap it up, and yeah. uh, they kind no, of they sort of relay a little philosophy at the end. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I was avoiding calling the German one a Nazi version, but we have made allusions that this is made behind the Iron Curtain. Did you did you see any sort of communist message here, or was it just a sort of good time entertainment? I felt like it was just good time yeah, entertainment. Yeah, I, I failed to see any communist message. Is Munchausen an allegorical tale in any way, really? Or no, I mean, I was surprised researching this that he was a real figure. I thought oh, he right. was entirely invented, but apparently oh, yeah. he was a real aristocrat. But then someone did make a book based on his stories and probably yeah, exaggerated them mm. further. But yeah, um, other than the fact that the subtitles are fairly <laughs> confusing on this, yeah, well, well worth watching for the uh, for the imagery here. Competition time. 
or is it? Well, <laughs> that's what we've got blocked in. For this. If we were professional, I'd have to have things blocked in. Um, yeah, a couple of shows back, we had a second competition, which was to win DVDs of Condor Man with Michael Crawford and El Topo, the uh, Halorendo Rodorowski. Actually, talking of him, I noticed you've um, you've you've favorited, if that's a word, Jodorowsky's Dune on your Facebook. Yeah, there's some guy who I follow on Twitter who's made a um, a documentary about it. All right. That un unmade. I don't know that much about. I only favorited him on Saturday. I yeah. think or something. So I, I need to delve into it a bit more. But you've not watched the documentary. No, or? I like anything to do with that though. I think unmade films. Um, but yeah, this is all avoiding the competition element, which is to say um, we weren't exactly deluged with entries, um, I'm afraid. We'd love to be picking a you know, winning entry out of the hat now, but sadly, nobody entered. Whether that's because, you know, those two films are so well loved that everybody already owns a copy, or it's, you know, it's possible we did ask too tricky a question. You know, no one's entered, so uh, we won't be able to give those prizes away. Although we will be. Yeah, so we're stopping the way. podcast. That's <laughs> it now. No more. <laughs> no, we love you all. Um, but you know, as we record this, the world has a new country. South Sudan has um, has winked into existence. SS. Yeah, uh, not that one. But um, <laughs> we thought it would be a nice gesture from you know from Midnight Video to just help uh, help South Sudan get off the ground. So we will be donating uh, Condor Man. And El Topo to uh, to Juba. They'll be going into there. Well, I'm not sure if they've set up a film museum yet, but um, it's going into the central library there. Yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, those will be winging uh, any any listeners out there in Juba in South Sudan. You can expect Michael Crawford to be winging his way to you soon, along with uh, Alarendo Jodorowsky in this sort of, sort of Zen allegorical. Is it Zen? I don't know what kind of crazy mysticism is coming up with there, but you know. A, a, a very peculiar spaghetti western from a, a Chilean so you know uh, it's a shame no one entered but um, it's all gone to a good cause in the end but yeah well after that disaster I mean um, because of the strange way we record um, we're recording this on a Sunday and show 13 has only just gone online um, which is where we first announced that we are going to give away our incredible t-shirts our excellent t-shirts which uh, Phil's wearing even as we record rubbing his nipples at the <laughs> in delight um, we're going to be announcing the winner for that on show 17 which we will be recording in about a week and a half's time um, basically what we're planning to do from here on in is uh, we'll be keeping our A to Z of Midnight video going uh, where we just want contributions from you guys on things that you think should be uh, should be included in a, in a glossary of uh, you know films, film terms. I'm sure you know what we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, there's details on the blog about that. Um, yeah, that are easy to look up. But uh, from now on, anybody who enters that will be putting your names into a hat, and we'll be drawing out a winner. Supposedly every show. Just again, because of the strange way we record, what we'll be doing is nothing for the next couple of shows because not enough people know about this yet. But then on show. I forgot which one it was. Now. Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah, because seventeen we'll, will, the, will be the winner from. Yeah. 30. We'll have a backlog of winners, so there'll be a sort of bonus bonus giveaway there. So definitely worth winning the T-shirts. You were getting a lot of stares as you walked past uh, the London Dungeon today. Yeah, I hope it was a T-shirt. Yes. I had egg <laughs> in my face. Oh, yes, but well, you can see Phil on our website page and his uh, charming family modelling the T-shirts. Hmm. 
Graffiti artist Tony and his young pal Jockey are misfits in modern Paris. Jockey struggling to look after his permanently blotto father, while Tony takes rejection from local nurse Gloria, especially her insistence that he's a hollow shell, somewhat personally. In Diva and Betty Blue director Jean-Jacques Benyux's 1992 drama IP5, the unlikely duo's downward spiral is halted when a late-night encounter with a flatulent rabbit murderer in turn introduces them to the possibly mystical or possibly just deranged Leon, an elderly traveller searching for answers to his own haunted life. So, I mean, Diva's a very well-known film, isn't it? I think even if people haven't seen it, it's a really um, iconic poster. It's probably on a lot of uh, bedroom walls in the 80s and 90s with the kind of uh, pencil-necked bust with the crash helmet on. Betty Blue probably on even more bedroom walls of students. Um, I'd never heard of this, though. No, this kind of went under the radar. Yeah, and even searching around on the internet, uh, is, it's it's quite difficult to uh, find too much on it. I mean, there's IMDb, but um, yeah, we. Uh, I mean, you you were good enough to lend me the the DVD of it. Is that a French? It's a it's a region one. It's a right, US. There's right. a John Jacques Benyek's collection. Someone some small independent company have collected all these works together on DVDs. Um, I've been after this for a long time. Artificial Eye had it on video, like when it f- came out, so like from the mid nineties. But it was it's always very expensive, mm. and because there was a guy on IMDb saying he had the VHS and he'd nearly worn it out because he'd watched it so many times. You know, <laughs> right? Um, do, you th- do you think you'd have been in that camp if you had uh, it on video? Probably not. No. Right. Um, I've I I own all of his films, but I've only seen uh, Betty Blue or. Transcend the matin, as they say in French, and um, and Diva. Right, Diva. It's funny you mentioned the iconic poster because again, uh, it's another one of my VHS stories of being a youngster and looking in the shop and the, seeing the video coming, mm. thinking it's a sci-fi film. Yeah, it does. Years. It looks like a space because it's this black crash helmet on this black bust, but with, with a very thin neck. And yeah, why is it? Yeah. And also with uh, Dominic Pignon with, oh, with the, the glasses. And yeah, it looks like the Matrix. Or yes. Hills Have Eyes kind of looks. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Two films that I really, really like, especially Betty Blue's one of my favourite all-time films. One of my all-time favourite love stories, in fact. I really? I really love that film. Wow. Yeah. I've not seen it in a long time, but I remember it came with a lot of rep- a big reputation. I remember seeing it in the mid-90s and just thinking, she's a fruitcake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't see much reason to hang around with a yeah. woman that deranged. But yeah, IP5 became quite notorious in France because uh, Yves Montand died very shortly after it was made and basically a lot of French critics put the blame on Benyek saying he was forcing him into doing these scenes where he has to go into like, obviously cold lakes. Yeah, naked. Naked. Yeah. Um, and this <laughs> if that doesn't get people keen to go and watch it <laughs> the he wrinkled he, skin yes. yeah yes. there's actually, I've got an interesting it's book about us all. <laughs> I've got an interesting book about uh, naked ben men <laughs> no Tom of Finland right yes <laughs> and yeah the the guy who is an academic called Phil Powery I think and he, they talk about uh, Monton's body about how you know he was like a heartthrob through the 50s 60s I'm, and um, he was a crooner actually he was a yeah. singer before he became an actor and how at the end of his life in this film he, like Ben Yeeks is kind of showing him not showing him up but um, showing his mortality yeah, yeah exactly yeah there's a, a memento mori thing going on there yeah just like seeing the back of uh, Michael Douglas in 
basic instinct. Oh. <laughs> did you hear that on Adam and Joe the other week? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I think <laughs> they described his buttocks as two burst water bottles, <laughs> hot water bottles. <laughs> Just two hot water bottles, bad enough. At well, best, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but because um, yeah, uh, he was also in Zed, wasn't he? And Wages of Fear, the original Wages of Fear. Yeah. But the thing people will know him from is Jean de Florette, mm-hmm. and here indeed he's playing another twinkly old man. For me, he was. He was outstanding in this. He was he was the draw for me. Mm. Um, yeah, because there's there's something weird about this film in that it seems to want to approach a kind of fantasy or a fantastical um, element, but it never really gets there. It doesn't seem to achieve it. Yeah, you know, th- it seems to talk about it, but never really. It's always alluded it. to yeah. as though he is kind of. I think <coughs> even on the back of the DVD it says that he's a, a wood sprite or something, which is just such a it's it's so misleading, and th- there is some imagery which you know there's um, walking on water mm. or the shafts of light as mm. it's raining. I don't know if it certainly didn't have religious overtones for me. It had more magical realism, um, but didn't really deliver on that. I was expecting more of that, and also I struggled with the two young characters. Um, who were totally kind of the main jockey. main part of the film for a great deal of its uh, yeah I mean it all begins with them uh, spray tagging, painting yeah, and uh, rapping and yeah I mean that's the beginning of the film is Tony putting up this huge the IP5 tag mm. uh, while his little pal jockey is doing I think it's a dance a little bit like uh, oh man it's been a long time since I've seen this was it Dee Dee the sister in Dexter's laboratory he used to do oh, a funny right, little yeah. dance just walking on the spot yeah um, well, it's like MC Hammer style. Yeah, yeah, it's MC Hammer kind of stuff without the parachute pants. But <laughs> he's basically, uh, from what I could gather, he was bragging about how fantastic he is at graffiti, even though it, it's his mate who's doing the graffiti. <laughs> well, he dances there, you know, and bragging about it. And, yeah. Which, um, I mean, something I've got to say about this is to begin with, uh, there's a lot that would make you want to hate that little kid because he can be quite irritating. But, I mean, the notes here, I, I do say he, he keeps on the right side of irritating. He just seems lively. And there's a scene quite early on when it's established that um, his dad is alcoholic, basically, and has to drag him into a cold shower after returning home, finding him slumped in the uh, corridors of the, the, the building they live in. Um, it's, you know, you, you're a little sympathetic towards him. And if anything, the dad is a remarkably good actor, because I was thinking, he's so good. <laughs> he doesn't just sort of fall about. He's really got that sort of concussed look in his eyes yeah. when, his, uh, when they discover him <laughs> and I was pleased actually there was a scene later when he's sober and apologising to people because it just showed that he wasn't like that permanently you know there was some <laughs> he acting, hadn't got a genuine uh, hadn't got a genuine drunk <laughs> in you know um, <laughs> but um, yeah a, a huge chunk of the film is um, is Tony and Jockey and their little adventures before um, Leon, Leon turns up and did you, I mean, did you buy into their story? Because that, that was very much a sort of reality, wasn't it? There's, Tony falls in love with this nurse, Gloria, who turns up to help out Jockey's dad. But uh, I wasn't too sold on that because he seemed infatuated with her, but there wasn't any reason for him to truly be in love with her other than she's a very attractive actress. Yeah, I had exactly the same um, problem with that. Uh, I could, it's not like in Betty Blue where... It, a relationship develops throughout mm. the film or even with diva where it's like the, there's a platonic relationship there mm. between uh, the singer and the young boy 
this just seemed very whimsical love at first sight but absolutely head over heels and the problem is like the the crux of the story is tony going to look for um substance really gloria yeah, yeah. but so also because she um when he does this huge mural for her and she dismisses him as is it hollow shell i can't remember quite empty the, shell empty shell yeah. he really takes this rather than just being uh, brushing it off he really takes this to heart if that's yeah. not a paradox um <laughs> But yeah, that that strand of the love story is right through the film, but there's nothing much to base it on, you know. No, no, not at all. And I, I was even, I was more uh, taken up with uh, Jockey or Jojo, who yeah. who just wants to go and see the mountains and escape, you know, get out of Paris. I thought that was a bit more interesting, really, than the the so-called love story. And then yeah, eventually they come round to meeting Leon, fortunately. Mm. Who, becomes the the third member in the group and he's he sort of transforms the story in a way it takes you, you, I was waiting more, for him to appear yeah you're yeah. more involved with his story because there is an there's an element of mystery about him but again that sort of develops into something that, that felt a bit of a damp squib I thought when it turned out at the end well I, well that's not yes yeah. um, but, but yeah there's always the suggestion that he may be a magical kind of figure something of a Ben Kenobi or hmm. or something or He's someone who's just wandered off from some institute that maybe has been uh, taking care of him. He might just be senile or or or, or have mental problems from the past. Um, but yeah, he never really does seem to do anything to demonstrate that he might be magical. Yeah, yeah. no, you you're you're right. It, it doesn't really. It seems to suggest that something mystical is going to happen, but doesn't really deliver on it. And so by the time you've got through the film, you're thinking, yeah, come on, where's the rest of it? You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that idea of the two troubled youths and then this sort of twinkly old man turns up, it, it's a bit of a cliche, but they don't do a bad job of it at all. I think that's possibly, yeah, given that they don't go too over the top with the, the magical kind of element of it, I think that's probably quite commendable. It would have been too easy to have them immediately think he's this Christ-like figure and he's going to solve all the problems in their lives, but they don't really have much respect for him, do they? No, It is more like a proper friendship develops between them. Yeah, uh, although in a I way was, that's lacking in the love story. Yeah, I was slightly. It certainly felt to me that when um, the kids meet Leon, that Leon warms to or becomes more of a mentor to Tony. But by the towards the latter half of the film, it, Tony sort of goes off, and you know, there's the whole Gloria side of it, and Jockey becomes more enamoured with. Uh, with Leon, which it it seemed to be a strange shift. I don't know yeah. if I was that taken. I don't know if it know. was kind of the idea that Jockey's dad is not really there. Yeah. Um, Tony was his mentor, but Tony's getting sort of distracted by his potential love interest, mm. and so maybe Leon's the last guy for for Jojo, who's going to be yeah some kind of parental figure or just some some constant in his life. Yeah, because Benyux has said like it's a very autobiographical film for him it's it's about his father really about how he made him strip naked and jump (laughs) in cold water um which yeah i mean that's obvious throughout you know that there's no actual father figures there um there's just um archetypes within other characters i suppose Mm. um and it was long as well. It was, I mean, all his films like bloody two, right two it hours. was. I mean, I was, I was on its side to begin with. To begin, like I said, things to like about this is that the kids should be hateable. To, but to begin with, I'm on their side. Um, 
the cliche of the old guy who comes with his wisdom and sorts everything out should be terrible, but it's not badly done. And even the very, very end of the film, which obviously we won't discuss, I think was quite good. Mm. But boy, it takes a long time to get on with it, doesn't it? You know, yeah. I was. It was a classic thing where you kind of intuitively know how far along in the plot you are just from what's been happening. You think, oh, yeah. And then you look at the counter on the DVD and think, what? <laughs> We're only 40 minutes in. Yeah. It certainly uh, ambles along. Yeah. And it does bring to mind one of those things where I think we're all familiar with how expensive films are to make and how many people you have to get involved to make even quite a low budget film. This isn't low budget, is it? This is probably quite a major release, I don't think. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. It. I think it was like seven million. Mm when it was made but it wasn't any kind of fly by night production no 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 but no. you do go through it thinking who read this script and thought yep <laughs> I'm going to stick all that money behind this without any kind of sense of oh, I don't know if people really want to sit still for yeah, two hours through this the I mean, script was brought to uh, the director and then he fiddled around with it and oh the producer took it to the director yeah fiddled around with it and, but I think because he'd he'd made Diva, Betty Blue, Rosalind and the Lions. Yeah, obviously got a reputation. Those are the three famous. Well, even Rosalind and the Lions isn't this that is, famous. This but, is his um, fifth because it's yeah. the five is. Oh, that's, IP that's five what the, oh, the right. title. Yeah, Island of Pachyderm's five. Yeah, yeah but also yeah. his girlfriend at the time was Isabella Pasco, I think. Right. Who IP? Oh, There's right. An allusion to that as well. I don't know if that's just coincidence, but. Um, I suppose he was still quite a name and Montong like, wanted mm. to work with him as well. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I know that sounds a bit sort of uh, arrogant of me. Of if I don't like it, why would anybody else? <laughs> but you, you would think a film producer had some sense of, I don't know if this is going to sustain anyone's interest for that length of time. Yeah. Especially because it's got a foot in... I mean, something it does very successfully is makes urban Paris seem quite a sort of cool place. You've probably visited there a few times. Mm. If you like. yeah, I mean, I've not, no, I've never been there. I'll be going later this year. But it did look like a great, uh, a lively place. I yeah, really like the look of it. Um, he, he does that well. I think he shoots like very well. You know, his mm. his films look really. I mean, he's from a, a movement called the Cin Cinema du Look, which is people. I think Besson's from that sort of approach of you know style and mm. how how things should look. So yeah, it, he's got a way of making things look great but it doesn't really back it up in this film um, there's a scene I want to ask you about um, I've said a couple of times already that uh, Jockey should be irritating but manages to win you over a bit there's a scene however when they're at a service station <laughs> I knew you were going to mention this Yeah, um, and I think basically uh, Jockey takes someone's Walkman well he takes the batteries out of it yeah, yeah. And a, a businessman reading his paper just sort of doesn't really have a go at him, just says, You've got some nerve. And Jockeys really gives him a, not just a mouthful, but kind of really intimidates him. Yeah. And I lost all sympathy for him at that point. I, I think just if really you live in London, that was, uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you live in a city where uh, you've ever had any sort of threats like that from cheeky like blighters, yeah, you just, yeah, I, I, I was already a bit umming and ahhing about him anyway, but that that was. Yeah, that was a turning point for me as well. Because they both treat him like really badly, this poor guy, this yeah. like innocent bystander. Because he's yeah, like a guy who's not really done anything other than saying, you know, come on, 
he's not really taken much of a stand he's just like oh you've got some nerve and yeah. they're kind of suggesting they're going to do all sorts to him and indeed he gets uh, well let's not go into it <laughs> but that's the point where you think what and yeah thankfully uh, Leon turns up not too long after that you know but Leon even the treatment of him to, is, yeah. like, is really quite questionable to some degree yeah, I don't know yeah but no, it, it's just odd when you have a scene like that when you you're used to a filmmaker thinking very carefully about how you present the characters to the audience to get you on on side with them, and then they do, to do something like that, which is just like, yeah. Yeah, I, want them, I want them both rotting in a jail somewhere. <laughs> Ultimately, this goes on a bit. Yeah, like I think us. it outstays its welcome. Um, <clears throat> could have been trimmed down and be a lot neater. But do you think there was actually much point to the whole thing? I'm sure there was in the director's mind. I'm, I do believe he probably made it from his heart, but it, yeah, that that r real problem with the love story, which mm. just just makes the whole thing tumble down. Okay, so it's on to the uh, A to Z of film through midnight video um hooray but uh, yeah we've had a few more entries so uh we did cover a on the last show but we've got a few more entries i mean we're not going to be too um anal about a's for anal about uh, <laughs> where we read these out so yeah um well should we do do you want fancy doing ours let's, as let's well? get ours out the way first because yeah we, we did our a's two shows back i think mm. um so have you got a b for us yeah b for me is a film um is bad boy bubby by rolf de here uh, they call it exploitation, I think, but it, it certainly wasn't on uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Um, it's just the most extraordinary film I've ever seen. Um, up until I saw it, Evil Dead Two was hands down my favourite film, and would have been for the rest of my life if I hadn't have been uh, pointed in this direction. It's, it's just an absolute magnum opus. I can't have enough superlatives for it. It's an incredible performance. It was filmed over a number of years about this guy who grows up in captivity until he's about 32. And then it's really disturbing. He manages you're, you're about to. 32 now, yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he manages to escape from this horrible life and then he just goes out into the world as a sort of childlike adult. And there's a lot of. Um, political social undercurrents going on here i mean rolf to here the director had a, a specific agenda has uh he wrote and filmed it and the one of the most interesting things it was filmed with uh 32 directors of photography because it was filmed over just at weekends and stuff um so you have these 32 very distinct styles that come across in the film and what shouldn't work does works perfectly you know because you've got this character who is constantly evolving and changing and this works in unison with um, all the visual styles and yeah just if you've not seen it go out and see it it's, it's absolutely it's on blu-ray now as well it's a blu-ray yeah cat torture <laughs> yes that infamous that's for what that. i know about yeah, uh, yeah, bad cling, boy cling film um i've got two b's one is b's for beer yes. could i have another one from the fridge please <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right away, secret. Uh, here we go. Thank you very much. Um, no, it's it's you know it's a fairly obvious one. I'm going to have B is for books, which um, we talk about quite a bit. Um, certainly, Kim Newman's had more than his fair share of shout outs, uh, and I'm I'm going through night the the new edition of Nightmare Movies at the moment. 
you're enjoying American Nightmare yeah yeah absolutely love it it's yeah. an extraordinary piece of writing because I've not yeah. read it I mean I know it really uh, the thing that amazed because I did I flicked through it when in that terrible place we used to work um, uh, it, it did seem to have genuinely found corners of horror cinema and whatever you want to call it that I'd never heard of before including a film that maybe we'll be covering in a few shows time fingers crossed yeah yes. um, yeah incredible yeah but I mean something I've, I've not really started reading yet but I just um, I doing this show I realise how uh, I'm sure the listeners are ahead of me I realise how ignorant I am about uh, <laughs> huge areas of cinema history and I, uh, yeah um, when we covered Body Snatcher a few shows back I said I'm getting quite drawn to the 30s and the 40s it seems like a whole air, area of cinema history which I've not really given uh, given much opportunity to so um, yeah, in the last week, I've from Amazon ordered a bunch of old books, um, which were edited by Anne Lloyd, um, which came out in the mid '80s. But basically, um, I think this was probably originally one of those builds up week by week magazine collections. I'm not sure what the original title of those were, but the books are kind of movies of the '30s, movies of the '40s, right through to the '70s. Uh, and I've got most of them now. They're very cheap off Amazon. They're like a penny and. 280 in postage and packing or something Fantastic. but they do have that form uh, I'm just flicking through them I'm so looking forward to them because they do seem varied they've not just concentrated on Hollywood they've gone right into world cinema going way back to the 30s um, I'm going to have to get on this Yeah, no, <laughs> but this is kind of a good thing because I'm pretty sure they were originally published as magazines that built up into bound volumes you more get articles rather than a chronology of you know this film came out in here and, da, 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 da. and what you tend to get now are those quite you know thousand and one films to see before you die or there's there, there are I think there are books now called films of the 80s and whatever aren't they with those I've got yeah the Tashan ones. ones yeah I've got a couple. which again look like they've just picked a limited number of films and done little um, little puff pieces on them yes so I'm really I'm, apologies if these books turn out to be terrible the ones I've just mentioned <laughs> the uh, edit they're edited by Anne Lloyd they're written by any number of people um, but I'm really looking forward to going through those and hopefully finding out lots and lots of things that I've never even heard of before no that sounds great yeah. but yeah I'm, I, I know from um, when the Mondo movie guys did their movie spe uh, movie book special that was really popular wasn't it mm. and uh, so yeah, um, it's it's always great to have those depositories of knowledge out there, and especially because now you can get secondhand books so cheaply off various internet sites. You know. Yeah, I mean Amazon Marketplace is you can really if you don't mind having like X Library uh, I copies. Love, I love I love having X Library. I love it when there's a bit of history to it. Well, yeah, I mean like the Psychotronic Encyclopedia mm. I got is is really well thumbed through, and you know it's all brown around the edges, and it's <laughs> <laughs> B is for brown around yeah. the edges. <laughs> but oh, no, fantastic! I'm uh, I'm definitely going to get on that. But the people don't want to <laughs> listen to air ones. Um, go ahead. What have we got? These? Well, our old friend Giles Edwards is uh, he's kicked off his B with B is for the Big Heat, the Johnny Toe, Andrew Cam Hong Kong crime thriller. It's like something from Fulci in his prime. That sounds ace. Not Night of the Big Heat, the um, British horror movie with Christopher Lee and some glowing rocks <laughs> on an island. Our old friend Steve Walsh. Hi, Steve. Um, a is for Animal Crackers, presumably the Marx Brothers movie, because he then includes the quote, 
One morning I shot an elephant in my pyjamas. How he got in my pyjamas, I'll never know. <laughs> Apologies to Groucho, spinning in his grave. Yeah, you got to love those marks. <laughs> my delivery there. You gotta love those Marx Brothers, Carl Groucho, no, no. <laughs> Spencer, <laughs> and our very very good friend Rich Wells, uh, who has designed this lovely garment that I'm Th- wearing. Let's not have a league table for our friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's not only friends that uh, we we call everyone friends. He <laughs> um, A is for ah, which obviously refers to Alan Bates's death scream in Jersey Skomilov. Skolimovsky's wonderful 1978 oddity, The Shout. You can't go far wrong with its mix of cod Aboriginal mysticism, avant-garde sound design, a bed-hopping Susanna York, and cricket. Do you know who did the soundtrack to that? I don't. Half of Genesis. Which half? Uh, well, the better half. half. There's only three of them at that point. <laughs> so, um, uh, Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford, I'm pretty sure. I think Phil Ooh. Collins was probably uh, doing sort of songs for swinging divorcees at that point. <laughs> Doing that. But I've I've, um, I've yet to see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm, I'm, I remember a mate Joel. Um, I've got it at home, but I've just not got yeah, to watch no, it. Yeah. No, the trailer looks great, doesn't it? Um, Marie Hepworth, regular contributor. B is for Bava. If you want a gothic horror, he did that. A giallo, he did that too. A slasher, he made those. A camp sixties comic book style film, yep, that as well. Mario Bava made a lot of films. They're not all good, but quite a few were great, and my favourite being Kill Baby Kill, which I've never heard of. Yeah, I've heard. I just received the, the two box sets yeah. um, that he that were put together a few years ago. Um, again, like something I'm ashamed to admit, but my Bava knowledge is zero. <laughs> uh, yeah, what have I seen? Black Sabbath quite a while back and Bay of Blood, bit of actually. Planet of Vampires or Vampire oh, Planet yeah. Or yeah, Planet of Vampires sorry yeah. oh I've seen two of his films yeah. that's not okay. too bad but um, yeah, yeah I really need to get that sorted out ASAP well Estelle and Zeb are away on holiday now so maybe you can uh, knuckle down well I'll get Midnight Video stuff is priority I'm oh yes <laughs> and last one here is again from Rich Wells uh, B is for Blue Underground which I doubt needs any further explanation a DVD label that has introduced me to so much cult goodness, most recently the Michael Lerner, Zelda Rubinstein, Eye Violent Shocker, Anguish. Yeah, I, I agree, Blue Underground, I've got loads of recent Jallies. Michael Lerner? What did I say? Is it Michael Lerner? Yeah, Michael Lerner. Wow, what, the actor from, is the guy in uh, Barton Fink? I don't the know. studio head? I haven't seen Ah, oh. I haven't seen it, maybe. No, it's, uh, yeah, that's good. My final one, Richard Sampson. B is for body horror. I might have missed the B is for boat on this one, but my all-time favourite subgenre has to be the kind of movies churned out by Mr. Henenlotter and Co. in the 80s, from basket cases deformed Bilal to the arse face in society. Anything that features warped human flesh or strange diseases has piqued my interest for years. The high water mark, John Carpenter's The Thing. Which, uh, if Ben and Dan of Mondo Movie are listening in, we're still waiting for your commentary. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and also related to Ben and Dan, well, more to Dan is uh, street trash. God, that's that's amazing for uh, body horror. Yeah, putrefied green. Yeah. Or was it blue? What were they called? Melt movies, they used yes. to call them, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was incredible, yeah. <laughs> 
but yeah that's it for the A's and B's we've got some C's for next time but uh, keep them coming in so yeah should we for the chance so to win a shirt for well. the chance to win a shirt and be entered in the big hat uh, so what should we extend to C and E now or just uh, anything up to G maybe I don't know uh, C D E C D E yes okay um, don't go further than E whatever you do don't, <laughs> don't go any further than E E's the limit Not well received upon release or any point thereafter, 1968's Boom presents audiences with Flora Goforth, a woman so very rich that she can afford to spend the summer on her own personal island and deliver tongue lashings to a much-abused entourage in between regular visits from waspish neighbour Noel Coward. What Liz Taylor's monstrous creation doesn't have much of is time, and with her days filled with bitter memoir dictations and a course of injections, she craves one last lover, which is Richard Burton's cue to swim ashore and invited as the Angel of Death. So, boom. Boom. I won this DVD. You did. We were at uh, the Jude Mitchell film night a couple of months back, and uh, yeah, they have a little, you know, stick your hand up contest and they throw things at people. And Actually, hi, hi to Alex, who runs the uh, Duke Mitchell. Hello, Alex. It's, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed, what was it called, Strangers in Paradise? Strangers in Paradise, Fantastic yeah. movie, yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, Not to be confused with the Jarmouche. No, yeah. yeah this was about a psychic Nazi. From Paradise. Stranger... In Paradise. Oh, Strangers in... Uh, not the Jarmusch one. Yeah. This, this is a musical about a, a psychic Nazi who gets uh, frozen and wakes up in sort of eighties America. But anyway, yes, you um, you won that, and you you had the disc hurled at you from from uh, afar. From afar. Yeah. And then you you knew about it. Didn't I'd you? I'd heard of it because um, yeah, I mean, going back to books, I mean, one I've mentioned a few times before is the Golden Turkey Awards, which I grew up on, and they. The f- I was always fascinated that they those guys, the Medved brothers, really went to town on uh, Burton and Liz Taylor because they had reputations. Certainly, Burton as a great actor, and, and you know, Liz Taylor won Oscars. Um, there seemed to be a string of disastrous flops, uh, not just box office flops but critical flops they did as well and boom I always just thought the title was great you know with his exclamation mark and everything and yeah it's based on the Tennessee Williams play uh, The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore I wondered what the hell it was about and so when you when you had a copy thrown at you I was quite keen to uh, to have a look at it and I remember watching it and texting you and saying this is uh, suitable (laughs) material (laughs) for the podcast this is what we're looking for (laughs) and and was it did you find this uh, this fits into a remit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll just have to start by saying I really, really enjoyed it. Good. Like, massively enjoyed yeah. it. Um, way more than I was expecting, because we'd spoken briefly the other week that about Burton and Taylor, and I'd seen um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and not been a big fan of it. I found it very stagey. I'm mm. not a big fan of stagey films. Yeah. Um, Tennessee Williams, obviously. Yeah. I, th- I was a bit worried, nervous going into it, but I was blown away by how bloody odd it was. It's it's <sighs> nuts, and like I say, it's it's really not not got a good reputation at all. It's easy to see why it would be seen as very pretentious. Um, but it's at that really peculiar point in the 60s when I'm reluctant to call them mainstream, but yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, conventional Hollywood was catching up with what was going on in, you know, 
subculture. I don't know, I'm being a bit too high-minded with this. No, but that yeah. stuff was seeping through, and so mainstream films uh, were becoming much odder. And it was weird watching this, because the thing it really reminded me of, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, is the 60s um, version of the comic strip Modesty Blaze. And I was surprised then when it said directed by Joseph Losey, because he did that as well. And that's mm. how it's gone, oh, right, he had a little style to, uh, to his filmmaking there. It is a really odd film. If your view of Tennessee Williams is stuff like, you know, Streetcar Named Desire or whatever, and yeah. these kind of um, highly strung uh, southern characters, then, yeah, what you've got here is uh, Liz Taylor as a character who is so over the top. She's very much like... Um, not sure if you've watched much of this. In Little Britain, there's one of the characters Matt Lucas does, who's very much like Barbara Cartland. It's this very over the top. Is it Bubbles or? Yeah, she, or is she the one in the health were, spa. I don't yes, know. But, yes, um, yes, yeah. Th there is this real monster who's just going on about her, how wonderful her life is, but mm. she's obviously got no talent whatsoever. <laughs> and and I, you know, I don't want to be cruel, but Liz Taylor's so perfect as that. Because, mm. uh, yeah, she's starting to lose her charm somewhat at this point um, and it's one of those things when the baggage that the cast brings with them is helpful because the fact that you know Burton and Taylor is this sort of really backbiting couple and all the excesses they had you know it really the fact that this is such an over the top film with this uh, oh man I'm so excited about this I'm not <laughs> explaining it so well but yeah Liz Taylor as um, Flora and I'm doing a little air, air bracket sorry <laughs> as Flora Goforth or Sissy Goforth done by her friends who I'm never really sure what she does for a living is she a writer or is she just someone who's I think she's just made a load of money from living with rich husbands yeah. and um, is now doing a memoir and but, yeah um, decided that you know it's catching up with her as it were but she's clearly not well and the beginning of the film she's getting this course of injections uh, we never quite find out what's wrong with her but you know the end's, the end's near and then the opening is so strange with Richard Burton as he's kind of like the milk train man from those old that series of adverts he's in his black polo neck sort of creeping up or getting up no he, he does it he, he, he legs it he does I was going to say charters a boat he does it he just sort of gets on some local boat and I think as soon as they know that he's going to go forth um, island they kind of throw him off well, no, they throw his bag of they mobiles. To, yeah, they seem to be a film crew or something, <laughs> yes. or like the media, and they want to do an exclusive interview with Goforth because mm. she's obviously known yeah. or renowned. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he just gets lobbed into the sea and then makes his no, way No, they the throw mountain. his bag of belongings into the sea and oh, dives right. after it, doesn't he? But then ah. he swims ashore and is attacked by these Dobermans or <laughs> some kind of attack oh, dogs. Rudy's dogs. Rudy's. Rudy's um, <laughs> Michael Dunn, um, who, if he has any kind of, uh, uh, he's a, he's quite a good actor actually. But yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a little person. But I think he'd be best known um, if anyone knows the old Shatner era Star Trek episode Plato's stepchildren, which is notorious because it was banned. It wasn't shown in Britain because it had a interracial kiss. I'd just like to make sure and make people aware I'm not much of a Star Trek fan <laughs> at all. But yeah, things like that, uh, you know, midgets. I'm a big fan of um, <laughs> yeah. shorter men in films, <laughs> academically speaking, anyway. Uh, but yeah, he turned up dressed like some Italian fascist, doesn't he? He's got his jack boots and his little uniform on. <laughs> but that, that whole opening, probably 10, 20 minutes, is so bizarre, isn't it? Because it opens with no music. You've just got the waves crashing on the rocks and, you know. Booming. 
and then this incredible John Barry music. I really love the John Barry score for this, uh, which yeah, is this kind of steam organ. I was wondering whether you would or not, because when I first heard it, it mm. put me in mind a little bit of uh, Mumsy Nanny Sunny Girly. Oh no, it reminded me more of Perimbaba with the fairground feel. But yeah. this is, I mean, John Barry was fantastic. And a great thing about it, it's a good soundtrack in itself, but it very rarely tips into, oh yeah, here's the guy who does James Bond. There's a couple of bits which sound very much like Bond villain mm. themes. Um, <laughs> and indeed the whole film feels like Bond has it's the last act of a James Bond film yeah, where well, the Bond's setting. got on board the villain's lair, isn't it? Yeah, because the yeah. lair, the, 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 lair, <laughs> the, the house is... Yeah. is. I, I even wrote down a uh, 60s-style Bond villain hideout meets the prisoner. Mm. You know, It's got that um, incredible... Because I really love that sort of style, that sort of late 60s, early 70s. That's in a lot of like Giallo films that I've been watching recently where it, it's kind of... Uh, it's like minimal opulence. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, what a setting! Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. The fact um, it's an island as well, like, um, and it's it's removed from everything. Absolutely, because you don't get any sense of the world existing outside of this. Even though you, it's referred to, it's but referred it's to, and yeah, the nearest you've got to anything else, refer- <laughs> the nearest you've got to any outside element coming in is Noel Coward, <laughs> as Noel Coward. You know, he's in the smoking jacket and everything. Arriving on the shoulders of his manservant, <laughs> just one of those strange touches. Arriving for dinner, and I think has he invited himself? I don't think. Uh, this I think Taylor's Blackie, character wants I him. think Blackie might have had something. Oh, she. This Blackie is the secretary, is the, not yeah, the yes, assistant. Before anyone gets the wrong end of the story. <laughs> yeah, she mentions that the the witch of the Capri, witch of Capri because it's uh, it was written for a woman, wasn't it? The role. Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, Coward's role was meant to be, and Burton's role was written for like a twenty-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I knew that <laughs> it was originally written for totally different ages. So mm. Liz Taylor's character should have been a much older woman. Burton should have been much younger. And when it was originally, yeah, the milk train doesn't stop here anymore. It was originally um, Tab Hunter was um, who, <laughs> again. I only know him from the John Waters movie Polyester. Um, but yeah, I think he was a minor heartthrob in the 50s. And Tallulah Bankhead, who's a film actress from a much earlier mm. era. Whereas here, you know, it's, it's Dick and Liz there. Uh, fairly comparable ages. Um, I'm really glad you enjoyed this, because I was watching this, and yeah, it, there's there's a lot to not enjoy about it, but I think it's such a strange film. I mean, did you find it a little too pretentious because we've got this setup but yeah an awful lot of it is people meditating on the meaning of existence and you know it's all that kind of thing but I, di- I didn't really find it that um uh, it was odd but I didn't find it too pretentious uh, mainly because I found the <laughs> I found the characters so absurd um the situation seemed quite absurd like cuz Burton I suppose in retrospect, when I read about his character mean, meant to be a lot was meant to be a lot younger and stuff, I can see how that might have riled people who were fans of the original. But I can't imagine there were many because it was a, <laughs> it was a flop as a play. I mean, it was, as well, it was yeah. playing to half full houses and closed in a couple of weeks, I think. Mm. But his his character is again, you know, like Yi Mon Tong in uh, IP Five. There's there's an air of mystery. You're not really sure. Is yeah. he a poet? Uh, has he just landed there by chance? Why was he running to get mm. on that boat in the first place? There seems to be a lot of unanswered questions. And even 
the ambiguity of the end I, I find yeah. quite ambiguous it raises more questions which I'm always a fan of yeah. generally anyway yeah. I, I didn't need exact closure no uh, really. um, because yeah Burton's character is um, oh, what is his name Chris isn't it which is meant to be a bit of an allusion to Christ perhaps um, <laughs> and, uh, according to the things I've read anyway um, but he, Noel Coward quickly says, "Oh yes, it's so and so. You know, he 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 always turns up when rich old ladies are on their on their deathbeds. You know, mm. uh, and he has this nickname, uh, D'Angelo de Mort, the Angel of Death. And um, he's great in it. Um, he seems to realize quite. I think everyone involved in this realizes how absurd it is and kind of goes for it and relishes." The chance to do something a bit odd. Yeah, I don't think anyone here is taking it terribly seriously, are they? Because uh, I heard that Joseph Losey had a really bad alcohol problem at the mm. time, and uh, certainly Melvin Bragg in um, Burton's biography, Rich. Blame, yeah, yes, blames the failure of the film mainly on Losey. Uh, wow, for being pissed out of his brain all the time. Did Bragg think it had failed then? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, wow. but I, Maybe I, we're leading the vanguard <laughs> for yeah, I, critical reappraisal. Well, for I it. did actually read one of the reviews on IMDb uh, who mentioned that John Waters uses it to test. He shows it to people, and if they don't like it, he refuses to like them. Wow! <laughs> I'm really pleased. Yeah. So if, yeah, okay. if it's good enough for Waters, then definitely it's good enough for Midnight Video. <laughs> but I did think uh, with. Um, like Taylor was, yeah, I think she was on great form. Um, I wrote down she, there was a touch of Miss Havisham about her. Yeah, um, you know she's Everything's in her over island the top and stuff. This, yeah. yeah, I mean weird things like she's there for the summer <clears throat> on this Mediterranean island, but she makes it very clear that she's got sensitive skin. So you think, <laughs> why are you there then? Go to Oslo or something for the summer. <laughs> But the way she treats her staff, because, yeah, the main uh, relationship there is with uh, Blackie, the secretary, who uh, doesn't really enjoy being there, and there's, there's lots of kind of... Uh, I really enjoy the conflict between the two of them. Rudy, the midget dog handler, again, seems to really enjoy his job. Um, who else? There's the doctor, isn't there, who dresses at one point exactly like Peter Sellers in The Party. He's got this kind yes. of beige suit and floral <laughs> tie. and uh, He's an alcoholic, isn't he? Yeah, and there's a couple of sitar players who... <laughs> <laughs> and a giant it's a, it's a giant who just hangs around and, and a manservant <laughs> who I can't tell if he's meant to be Indian or Italian or yeah, she, she doesn't like speaking to Italian to her because it's filmed in Sardinia so mm. I presume it's meant to be based there as well but yeah uh, yeah, what a collection of characters yeah. you know? and then they just add to the mix You know, Burton turns up and rather than throwing him off the island immediately she kind of because you won't even see him for a while, will you? There's a great bit at the start when she's dictating her memoirs and he's just shouting, Mrs. Go for <laughs> In the background. <laughs> Mrs. Bloody Go <laughs> And eventually she just gets the secretary to deal with him, but insists... Uh, Taylor's instructions are that she insists that he wears a black samurai robe complete with ceremonial sword, and you just think, wow, why? <laughs> um, I don't know, I just... I love this, and I'm yeah. not sure. I, I can't say I liked it in a. 
in a camp way. It's not like it's so bad, it's good. The stuff about it I genuinely love. And yeah. it's, it's a, again, we've said it in the past, it's just that feeling you'd never get a film like this now. You wouldn't get um, Brad and Angelina. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if anything, yeah, it's made me very curious to check out the rest of those notorious bombs that they, uh, or turkeys they lovingly stuffed together as the Medved Brothers put. Because I think there's others like the VIPs and the Sandpiper. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to really going through the... Uh, Getting up to my elbows in this. <laughs> Bring a telex report out to me. Ow! Shit and your mother! God damn it! Sun myself into a criminal institution. Okay, that's it for show 14. Thanks very much for listening, as always. Uh, we appreciate your feedback. Mm. In fact, on that subject, thanks to Paul MC79, who's left a nice, a nice little comment on iTunes. Thanks also to Mick, who has sent us a film through the post, which we're going to, you know, its identity is going to be kept under wraps for now, which is kind of in keeping with the film itself, I suppose. But thanks ever so much for that, because that was something um, I mentioned a few shows back for this film, and I'm very pleased that we're going to have the chance to uh, see it again and almost certainly be reviewing it quite soon. Most definitely. So thanks, mate. Okay, and if you want to get in touch, usual channels. Uh, if you can remember them. Yeah, midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk. Uh, on Twitter as at midnightvideo. Uh, also check out our website, which is midnight-video.com. Or is it co.uk? Yeah, yeah it's com. Com, yeah, which, which has all sorts of supplemental material going up there all the time, so well worth checking out. Uh, and you get to see Phil and his family in the T-shirts. Or is that on... Yes, that is on the... It is. Yeah. Uh, And also a Facebook Facebook profile, which is easy enough to find. So that's it for another week. Um, See you again next time. Okay? Bye-bye. Tati-bye. It it can only be said that these two men are fleeing in the sense that you flee in a nightmare where you make no progress because they move forward to go backwards. Le ciel de Paris s'envole une chanson Elle est née d'aujourd'hui dans le cœur d'un garçon Peoples of Midnight Video We are very grateful for your generous gifts of films However South Sudan is a new country, and we feel we have suffered enough already without undergoing the horrors of a spaghetti western by a Chilean pervert and the horror of Michael Crawford dressed as a cartoon chicken. We are therefore returning your films. Do not contact us again. Much love. Juba. <laughs>